0: Welcome to Reimagine Hybrid Work, a Data for Betterment Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Lopez. I'm the founder of Lopez Research and the nonprofit, the Data for Betterment Foundation. The foundation's mission is to help individuals and companies prepare for the future of work by understanding how technology will change business and careers. If you like this episode, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com for links to follow the show in your favorite app. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter for additional show content and articles. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Maribel Liphas and my blog on LiphasResearch.com. I hope you'll enjoy the show. It's clear that the future of work is changing, and that AI and automation will be a key aspect of any organization. But AI and automation is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. For my other podcast, AI with ML, I actually had an interview with Anisha Biggers of NTT Data, and I thought it might be applicable for this podcast as well as a introduction to AI and automation and maybe some of the things you need to think about as an organization as you're trying to basically do things such as eliminate routine processes to really improve the employee experience. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. We are in June. Next week is July 4th week. So we're going to skip publication of Reimagine Hype at Work next week. But we will see you the following week. So looking forward to talking to you somewhere around July 10th. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, and in that... Just as an aside, I plan on revealing my best productivity tip that I have discovered in literally at least the past year. So hope you're well and looking forward to talking to you soon. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, and it's my great pleasure today to be joined by Anisha Biggers. Anisha works for NTT Data. She is the managing director in the Digital Transformation Services Group And one of the things that I wanted to talk to her about today is some of the things that are happening in automation, because we have lots of clients that are asking about this. But I thought maybe to get started, Anisha, can you describe some of the roles and experience you've had at NTT Data so we can get to know you a little better and talk about maybe what originally attracted you to the field?
1: Sure, absolutely. And it's a pleasure to be here on I was at identity data to lead the intelligent automation advisory practice. Um, it is a cross-industry practice, which, which is something that was attractive because I do see intelligent automation as a horizontal versus as a vertical. Um, I am absolutely fascinated fascinated with how technology works with humans and vice versa. Um, because there are conversations around how we are enabling tech and forgetting humans. And we also talk about um, designing tech, not keeping humans um, centered. So I'm here to understand what's happening in the industry and how we can help humans and technology work together.
0: I think that is a noble but also important goal And one of the things that seems to come up in many of my discussions with business leaders is it strikes me, much like the field of AI in general, there are many definitions of automation. And for many companies, they view automation as synonymous with robotic process automation. How do you define it?
1: It's interesting because (laughs) when I started this almost over a decade ago, When we talked about automation and RPA was up and coming, yes, automation was synonymized with RPA, but also when we had discussions with the clients and we asked them, do you have automation, macros were considered automation also and SQL queries were considered automation. So um, you're absolutely right. And even to this date, automation has a a different definition with each organization that you work with. At entity data, when we level set with the clients and to make sure that we're all on the same page, we don't define automation as the technology. Automation mm. is just a set of tools and techniques to solve a business problem. So we're not looking for RPA opportunities or chatbot opportunities and machine learning opportunities or IoT opportunities. What we are saying is, let's first try and understand what is it that we're trying to solve for And then figure out if automation is the right solution before we even get to solutioning, before we even get to RPA or whether it's Python scripts or is it just BPM?
0: I love where you're starting with this because I think so much of my personal journey in tech has been uh, a technology has been built. Let's figure out what it's really suited for. Let's figure out if it works And what I love about what we're doing in this new era, I think we spent a long time just digitally transforming. And in, in the post COVID era, I think we're spending more time with digital acceleration. And the way we get to digital acceleration is we start thinking more from the business problem down. So that's exactly what you said. It's like, what are we trying to do? And does automation make sense? And if so, what kind of automation makes sense? Because there are different use cases that would require different tools. And I think that's the right way. To approach the problem, so but but having said all that, you know, (laughs) automation is a huge space. So, what are some of the best areas to use automation in today? Is there low hanging fruit that works for most companies, or is it really snowflakes and everyone's own adventure? How do you think about that?
1: I think they're definitely low hanging fruits, Um, but it's a it's not as easy of a question. And there, there's layers of answers to it. And I think I'm going to latch on to one of the things that you mentioned um, to how are we accelerating digital transformation? And I think that's exactly how we should look at intelligent automation. Intelligent automation in itself is not going to solve a business problem, but it can definitely accelerate your goals to getting to digitally transform yourself as an enterprise. So when we talk about low hanging fruits, It depends on what is it that we're trying to solve for, right? Because the way I think about, um, from a business perspective, the way I think about solving a problem is, is it helping you um, grow your revenue? Is it helping you optimize cost? Or is it helping you reduce risk? Those are the three major drivers of any transformation in an enterprise. All other drivers would fit under one of these. And that has worked for me quite well when I'm having those conversations with our clients. So we can find a low-hanging fruit to optimize cost, but if that is not what you're trying to do in 2022 and 2023, you can automate it, it would sit in production, but the value is not going to be generated, right? Um, So aligning it to your strategic goals is very important. The second layer of complexity comes in from a business case perspective. Fantastic. Yes, it is a swivel chair conversation. RPA is the best. Um, not, I'm sorry, not RPA. Task orchestration is the best technique to solve this problem. RPA, on the hand, is a heavy um, application or a software that we would sit. It would, it will solve the problem. It was, it is the best matched to solve the problem. But then we need to th- think about the technology that you're bringing in also, because from a technology debt perspective, it is not as simple as, hey, you designed the solution, you put it into production, and that's it. You there is somebody who needs to maintain the software. There, there is somebody who needs to monitor whether you're getting the right results or not long term. So this is where coming back to the point: if if this is a problem, if there is a problem that we're trying to solve for, which is swivel chair, coming down to Task orchestration is the next level of solution that we want to put together. Now the clients are going to have a conversation. Initially, it was like, no, RPA is the right solution, but we can't have RPA because business case doesn't make sense. It's too expensive. But now, because the advent of technologies and the different capabilities that we're producing, if you're a Microsoft shop, you have automation within the suite that, you already, that already exists in the tech stack. If you're an IBM shop, an automation suite already exists in the tech stack. So now there's this whole multi multi-vendor strategy discussion that we're also having a multi-platform strategy um where we are differentiating low-hanging fruits. So the definition of low-hanging fruit 5 years ago was different than what it is now.
0: I I absolutely agree. I think that what you're getting at is there when you start talking about the different weights of the different ways of doing things it, it it gets to there's not a one-size fits all. And what I really love to your earlier point is um, when you look at the technologies that you're purchasing today or when you look at upgrading your technologies, there will be a certain amount of AI and automation built into those at the outset. So then the question is what do you what do you need to do versus what comes inherently in the product? So what are some of the practical benefits your customers are experiencing with automation today?
1: I think the the latest one and um, the one that's on top of the mind of everybody is um, how are you virtualizing your workforce? Because with great re- resignation, the issues with attrition post-COVID um, and how to start collaborating virtually was an issue. We weren't... We weren't ready for it. We weren't used to it. Um, So the more and more conversation that we're having with our clients, um, one of the benefits is you do have a manual workforce that you have to keep up, but there are going to be disruptions over time, but that you can minimize with virtual workforce, which is where you can create bots, whether it's conversational AI from a service desk perspective or whether it's RPA from uh, just bringing in bots for swivel chair. Applications perspective, or adding in machine learning and for decision making, um, inherently, when you do that, there is a cost optimization impact of it um, with any automation. Because at the end of at, at the end of the day, that is what we are trying to do. Uh, inherently, when we're reducing the cycle time or the time to market, um, we're in, improving customer experience. It actually boils down to you know what it's going to either grow your revenue or it's going to optimize your cost. the other example that I would give is data monetization. And it is less talked, I shouldn't say it's less talked about, but it's different, it's used in a different context. For example, I was just having a conversation on 5G. 5G is a technology that is coming up. It's not directly related to automation, but with the advent of 5G and the way we're going to use operational technology, we're about to generate huge amounts of data how are we leveraging that data um, by processing it to be your automation to create more near time, real time decisions for, I mean, it has huge impacts on manufacturing and retail and healthcare, um, but accelerating your decisions and be able to do near time, real time calculations and processing is what automation is going to um, improve and aid. Um, and then the, the, another piece of it is business resilience. How do you reduce risk exposure? Um, there's conversations on ITOT convergence. There's conversations on cyber resilience. Um, <coughs> how do we create autonomous operations moving forward so that we're not just maintaining business continuity, but we are becoming a data-driven enterprise that is business resilient?
0: There's there's so much to unpack there. and. One of the things that I get asked a lot and that you and I spoke about is uh, the concept of ROI. And I had a lot of companies that ask me about um, ROI, how, how do people calculate ROI? And you had a, a little more about that and how it applies to automation.
1: Um, see, the, yeah, the problem is that not everybody has the same definition of ROI. And I think we've changed, we're trying to now have a different kind of conversations instead of ROI, it's return of value, instead of return of investment, because not everything is quantitative, Um, especially when we talk about, it can be, it can be converted into dollars, but on the outset of it, for example, if you are augmenting your manual workforce with virtual workforce, you you might be getting more of a qualitative benefit from reducing your attrition because you don't have mundane tasks for people you hired who have PhDs or master's than the, you know, quantitative aspect of it. So there's less cost optimization, cost optimization that it's more about employee productivity employee experience. Um, so the first thing is not everybody thinks about the return of value framework, the benefits realization framework. Um, did we start with a business case if we said we were going to save 10,000 hours? Did you check if you saved 10,000 hours, right? Because what people do is they take a solution. It's it's a very pretty, fancy solution. It's doing exactly what you do, and it's just sitting in production. But that's the end of it for some for some organizations or for some teams that nobody checks on, is it working the way it was expected to work? Just because you put it in production, that doesn't mean that it's working right, or it's going to continue working right. Um, and then, so so this whole first making sure there is a business case where you have quantitative, qualitative benefits assigned to it. Why? So that a business case should tell you why are you automating this specific use case for this specific opportunity. Benefits real, and then that should be connected to benefits realization post production to be able to say. This is the business case. These are the qualitative and quantitative benefits. Are we realizing those benefits? Because at some point in time, you should give yourself enough flexibility, especially in today's agile community, that we need to pivot. Either we need to enhance the solutions or we need to redesign the solution, um, or we need to just retire it because it's not helping us at this point in time. So yes, the return of value conversation is very important to have.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think we always struggle with this. And one of my personal missions when I talk to companies is to really try to get them to think of how they're going to measure things, um, because you can purchase a technology, you can deploy a technology, and then at some point, somebody asks you what the value is that you are getting, and. Yeah. Sometimes the value can be measured in dollars. Sometimes it could be measured in things that don't have to be done. Sometimes it could be measured in speed of process. But I think you really need to understand what you're measuring and the metrics for success before you make a deployment. And that just seems like the most dead obvious thing to do. But it is shocking at how many times we get to the other side of an implementation and somebody says to the person who purchased it okay where are we what do we get and it's like um we're here and they don't have a good way to measure success so i think this is a really critical discussion and you know i think there's lots of things that people struggle with but from your perspective what's one area that companies struggle with in automation and what should they be doing differently
1: um i think the main the, the two main, cul- main culprits that i see the first is not realizing that to my previous point, automation is an accelerator. It needs to be aligned to your business strategy, because a lot of times I do see and we do get requests. Um, can you look for RP opportunities? Yeah, we need to make finance and accounting more efficient. We need to bring in. Uh, we need to optimize our supply chain from a cost perspective. You know, how can you bring in those solutions? Or write out looking for technology-based solutions, like a tool and a hammer situation. Can you look for RPA solutions, um, opportunities or chatbot opportunities? Where can we bring in machine learning without thinking through why are we asking this? What's the end goal? What is a North Star? So, and I think that kind of comes to the next point of what is your organization's culture? Because, you know, a decade ago, the conversation was no bots are coming and taking our jobs. We're displacing people. Then the conversation became, how are we augmenting? the workforce, right? So instead of displacing it, how are we augmenting your existing workforce? And now the conversation is, how are you enabling your workforce with automation? It's not just augmenting it. It's not just displacement. It is how are, its automation's not going anywhere. It is, it is here to say you are getting efficiencies. Um, you are making progress from a technology perspective. So how do you, enable your existing workforce to think through how can you bring in efficiencies um, throughout the organization. So instead of, and it's it, I think it eventually is going to happen, but instead of external parties coming in saying, you know what, let's actually look for automation opportunities in supply chain or IT operations or finance and accounting, inherently we need to create a culture where every single person understand what automation is and what value it's bringing so that you from inside out are creating those opportunities are creating um, a culture where if you don't, if you think it can be done faster, better, you, you, you actually bringing that up internally and creating a backlog of these opportunities. Because if that doesn't happen, we're already behind the curve. It's already too late because something that you could have automated with a business case two years ago, you we, somebody is identifying it now. But you've lost the two-year period to be able to generate that value.
0: You know, when, uh, the more I speak to you, the more I'm like, automation can be complex. <laughs> so <laughs> there are a lot of... Um... And, and perhaps that's why we we need assistance with that, because you really do need somebody to walk you through what are some of the opportunities and some of the challenges so that you can skip the pitfalls and go direct to the value. Now, one of the things that I also spend a lot of time speaking with people about is AI. And for some people, AI is one of these things where they think it's... Um, Science fiction for other people, they think, oh yeah, it's possible, but there's a lot of different perspectives on AI. So from your perspective, what's changing in the in the AI space and how will this change automation? What advances should we be looking forward to?
1: So yeah, and it's it's funny because there's some folks who talk about IA and AI synonymously because it's automation, but it's artificial intelligence versus intelligent automation. So for me, I don't think about it separately. Um, I think IA is just one of the aspects of automation. How are you automating decision-making by leveraging machine learning or deep learning? How are you leveraging algorithms to still process data at the end of the day? Um, So from from that perspective, there are are before I get to actually what technology advancements that I'm excited about, I think one of the things we like, we're at that cusp where we've actually actively started talking about AI ethics, designing um, human-like features within within artificial intelligence because that is hard. It is hard to teach a machine to do everything that a human does um, because it is it is like having a baby, right? Because when a baby is born, you're teaching them everything. But, and that was the initial advent of like automation or You, If you tell a machine what to do, it's going to do exactly what you asked it to do. But with the advent of AI, it was like, how are we creating self-learning, self-healing algorithms to be a bit more advanced so that there is even less often uh, manual interpretation. But then- when we, start do, when we started down that path, that's when the whole AI bias or design bias started coming in. We started seeing activity around the world where, you know, video analytics, it's not doing the right thing because the people who started putting the solution together did not have enough diversity or they didn't think through the problems properly um, and so on and so forth. So I think rules and regulations are catching up. On, and, and under the AI ethics umbrella. I think that that is, that is fascinating how we're still catching up to the technology advances um, in today's day and age. But um, from a technology advancement perspective, I'm very excited about 5G. It is still not here completely, but how are we now able to work with technology much faster, more near time, real time, on a much larger scale? It's very exciting. And how are we going to leverage that data processing piece to piece of it via automation? So another um, technology that is up and coming that we're very excited about is AR-VR. Um, we've already started using it. You see this in Metaverse. Um, I think it started a few years ago in a video game. I can't remember if it was one place, or some city, um, But I think there was a generational gap. People weren't used to it. It was very new. But... The newer generation are born into technology. They're born to not just technology, but changing technology, ever-changing technology. So the way we're going to use that technology now is very different. And the amount of data that we're going to produce and process, um, I think there are huge opportunities from from an automation perspective to be able to help real-time, near-time decision-making. But practically, outside of the whole Metaverse conversation, I think we've already started using ARVR, for example, field services and manufacturing. How can we, again, help and aid field services folks where they don't have to pick up a phone and call somebody or come back and take a training to be able to resolve an issue, but you have a technology that exists that can walk you through a solution real-time. Yeah. Um, or, for that matter, in healthcare, how can you help a patient near real-time without having to wait on you know, critical issues. So I am quite excited about that technology also, along with 5G now, because, because AR-VR had a, um, it was constrained because of the bandwidth and the latency issues, which is what 5G is now here to resolve for. So I think that's kind of connected. So pretty excited. I'm actually
0: excited about all the things that you mentioned. You know, We talked to a lot of companies about the possibility of 5G and what kind of applications those could unlock when you really have a widely available, very low latency network, and you couple that with advances in uh, digital equipment, which allow you to do things like have better uh, AR, VR glasses. We, we're open for some pretty cool stuff moving forward. Well, we've entered that time of the podcast of the bonus question, and I was wondering if there is a book, an activity, a podcast, or something you'd like to recommend to the listeners.
1: Oh, well, it, it it would have changed on a weekly basis. <laughs> but this week, um, I, I'm reading this book, Think Again, by Adam Brunt. Um, I always like books that are not just our opinions based on experiences, but they are case study-led because you get a bit more context on why you're saying what you're saying. So I think that's what Adam has done really well. The practical implementation of the ideas that he's putting forth is is really good, and I would recommend that to anybody.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you, Anisha, for sharing your insights on automation. I'm sure many people are struggling with this topic, so having a, a few guide points is always helpful, and we look forward to seeing what you build next. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Margot. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com to subscribe to the show and the newsletter. Until next time, wishing you all of the best in everything in life and in technology.